Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Ever since uh, 2019, when I stepped into this role, we've always left for vacation on Father's Day. And so I've never been able to preach a Father's Day message uh, in the church. And so I thought, you know, it'd be kind of fun to fast, or let's see, yeah, fast forward a week and I'll preach a Father's Day message today. So everybody get in that mode that it's Father's Day today, all right? So today is Father's Day, not really. So, but, but for the message today, today's Father's Day. So I wanna talk about men this morning. I wanna talk about fathers um, and, uh, and kind of go off of that. You know, something about our culture um, that I've noticed, especially within the church, is when you have like Mother's Day and you have women's conferences, it's always like, women, you're beautiful. You are God's creation. You are a Proverbs 31 woman. You are amazing, right? And then the men's conferences and a lot of Father's Day is our men, you need to get it together. What are you doing? Like, you need to step up and be a man, right? Usually, and now I'm kind of exaggerating, but usually they're not super encouraging. It's like this challenge to step up. Women, you're beautiful, you're awesome. Men, get it together, right? And so, so today, I wanna just encourage the men in the room this morning. Women, you don't have to check out. There's gonna be things in here today too that you can, you can hear and that you can take home. But I wanna just encourage the men in the room this morning with a few things. And so um, to, to start off, start off, like I said, it's gonna be a little more lighthearted today. So my family has this group text messaging thread. Um, that's that's my, all my siblings, my mom and dad and, and our spouses. And um, we use that for lots of things. But one of the things that gets used for every day is dad jokes. All right. So my dad sends a dad joke to us every single day. So I wanted to share a few of those with you before we get into the spiritual things. Is that all right? <laughs> all right. Here we go. The, the first one is my favorite, but I can't share it from the platform. So we'll skip that one. <laughs> you can ask me about that later. <laughs> So a genie granted me one wish. So I said, I just want to be happy. Now I'm living in a cottage with six drawers and working in a mine. All right, that one didn't go over very well. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> Snow White in the seven drawers. Yeah, there we go. If you don't get it, you know, that's all right. All right, here we go. I came home and saw my son had been on eBay all day long. So my friend suggested that I lower the price. I can't begin to tell you all the things I've forgotten. I like that one. You've all seen this one. It's been on Facebook like crazy. Here we go. I got gas today for $1.49. Unfortunately, it was at Taco Bell. <laughs> I have a really flat tummy that's flat with a silent L. I remember the first time I saw a universal remote control. I thought to myself, well, this changes everything. <laughs> hey, they're dad jokes, all right? They, they, they're not going to be that good, all right? I know, I know your ex expectations were way up here, but you need to lower them just a little bit, okay? Here we go. I used to believe in reincarnation, but that was in a previous life. <laughs> I wanted to go jogging, but Proverbs 28.1 says that the wicked run 
when no one is chasing them. So there's that. I like this one. My fitness trainer asked me, what kind of squat are you accustomed to doing? I said, diddly. (laughs) Two more. You ready? My girlfriend broke up with me after learning I only had nine toes. She's lactose intolerant. And here's my favorite one. Two robbers were robbing a liquor store when one robber grabs a bottle and asks the other robber, is this whiskey? And the other said, yeah, but not as whiskey as wobbing a bank. (laughs) And those are the dad jokes for the day. If you would like to subscribe to a dad joke a day, see my dad after service and he can hook you up. So I want to talk a little bit about some things that men are this morning. And number one, this one goes along with this one. Uh, the dad jokes really well. Men know how to bring the fun, don't they? Men know how to bring the fun. And listen, women, it's not that you don't know how to, all right? It's just that today we're talking about men. But I will say, how many of you moms are wrestling with the kids on the ground, right? Or, or how, many, how, how often does this happen? How often is it the dad who says that you can't have candy before dinner and the mom slips the candy bar under the table, right? No, it's normally the dad doing that, right? So dads know how to bring the fun. I remember one time uh, back when I was a kid, uh, I was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11. I didn't actually know my mom and dad were going to be here today. So uh, it's kind of cool that they are because I'm going to tell a lot of stories. But uh, we were just talking about this the other day. And uh, I, was, I was probably maybe nine, 10 years old, something like that, maybe Malachi's age. And uh, my mom was going to be gone on a women's retreat with the church. And uh, if you don't know this, my brothers, I have, I have a brother and two sisters, but they're all a lot older than me. So I think they're maybe eight or nine years older than me is from the youngest uh, to me. And so uh, they were at this time already all teenagers and they were all doing their own things, hanging out with their boyfriend or girlfriends or whoever. And, um, and so it was just me and dad. And so dad was like, it was like, Josh, we're going to have a man's weekend. And we even had the chant. It was, it was, uh, what, how did we say it? Was it, uh, it was man night. Ooh, I think is what it was. Something like that. And so all night was man night, ooh, you know? And so we, we, we stubbed this big elaborate thing of what we were going to do that we we're going to eat Chinese food because my mom hates Chinese food. She doesn't really like Chinese food. So we we're going to eat Chinese food all night. We we're going to rent a bunch of movies that mom doesn't like. All the, see, all, we like stupid comedies, you know? And, uh, and so we we're like, we're going to rent all the stupid comedies. and We're going to stay up all night and watch them. And so we ate Chinese food. We watched all the movies. I say we watched all the movies. I think I made it through maybe like one and a half. After eating all that Chinese food, I fell asleep a lot quicker than I had planned to. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we just had fun. And, and you know, I'm, I'm 33 years old, and I still remember uh, that night with my dad and just, just him bringing the fun. So, so number one, the real simple one, men know how to bring the fun. How many of you have memories like that with your dad? Just having fun with your dad. Um, Number two, men are protectors. Men are protectors. I love this story. I actually added this one on just so I could tell you this story this week. So, uh, so was it yesterday? What day? Friday? It was Friday. Um, I, Amber was, was uh, off doing something else. And so I just had the kids and we went to Tipton Park 
And uh, I was sitting there at the picnic table and studying and getting ready for today. And um, all of a sudden I hear Malachi yell, you mess with my sister, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> so I immediately caught my attention and I look up and Malachi is making his way down. There's like a little climbing rock that Eden's up there and he's up there. And I, and I, and I hear the other little kid that he was talking to say, well, come down here then. And so, so I look up and I see Malachi making his way down the rock. And I thought, you know, I probably should intervene here. So, uh, so I call Malachi and Eden over and I'm, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? Why are you telling this kid you're going to punch him in the face? And so they proceed to tell me the story that there's these, there was these two little boys. One of them would kind of liked Eden. And, said, and his, so his buddy came over and said, hey, my friend thinks you're cute or whatever. And so Eden, I mean, they're six. So Eden or eight. Eden uh, challenges him to a race because, you know, apparently that's what you do. <laughs> and so Eden challenges this, this boy to a race and uh, they're talking smack to each other. And the boy said, you're just a little girl. And that just really made Eden mad, right? So, so she's mad. She storms off and, and Malachi is, uh, you know, hears about it. And so, so then the little boy's talking smack back to her. And that's where, I, that's where Malachi came in and said, hey, you leave my sister alone or I'm going to punch you in the face, right? And so, so at that point, I had a decision. I'm like, do I parent? But I'm kind of proud of him, you know? Like, so, so what do I do? Do I, do I parent or do I give him a high five? And, and I'm going to be honest, I gave him a high five. <laughs> I'm like, hey, dude, I'm okay with that, you know, like way to protect your sister, you know. So Malachi's 10 years old and that protector in him is already rising up, right? It's already showing that, that, that natural thing that a man has as the protector and he was protecting his sisters. Now I will tell you, so you don't think I'm a bad parent, I said, you probably shouldn't threaten to punch him in the face, you know, like, but, but it's good that you're protecting him. And so men are natural protectors, you know, in the Adam or in the garden, uh, God told Adam to keep the garden. That word keep there can also mean protect. He was telling him to be a protector. In Ephesians 5, it tells us that the husband is to love their wives as Christ loved the church. To love, you know, guys love that verse for some reason because the previous verse says, wives submit to your husbands, right? To honor your husband. So guys are like, yeah, Ephesians 5 wife, you know, like, but what we don't realize is that, that it says, but why, but husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did God love the church? How did Christ love the church? He died for her, right? He died for the church. And so yeah, women honor your husbands, but men, listen, our job is to die for our wives. The Bible commands us to be protectors of our families, protectors of our communities. That in the garden, that Adam didn't just cultivate the garden, he protected it. And so men were natural protectors. That, that's part of our job and how God made us. Men are also encouragers. When I was little, um, I, played in, I played little league in baseball. And um, my dad is still famous to this day from when I played Little League in baseball and when my brother played in baseball because of his cheering, right? So, so my dad can make a trumpet with his fist. Go ahead, you're here this morning, so I might as well use that. So go ahead and, and demonstrate. Yeah. <laughs> so he would do that and everybody would go, charge, you know? 
And so he was the hype man at every baseball game. He had a chant for everything. You know, you go up to bat and he's, little bingo, little bingo now, little bingo. Come on, womp at one, you know. He's, he has a cheer for everything. I, I played in the outfield for a while, and, and uh, every time I'd catch a ball, I'd hear, we call him spider, spider, because he catches flies. You know, so... <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. You make a good play. I like that. You know? So to this day, we'll be in Meyer and people will walk through and be like, oh, you're the guy at the baseball field. You know, like he was famous. He was the hype guy, you know, and everybody, I remember as a kid, everybody would be like, does that, doesn't that embarrass you? You know, that your, your dad's yelling from the stands like that. And I'll be a hundred percent honest. I was never one time embarrassed by it. Not one time, there was just something special that that dad was my hype guy, you know, that he was the guy cheering us on in the crowd, and he was just this natural encourager in baseball. So men are natural encouragers. You know, there's, there's just something special about a dad or a mentor or a big brother or something, someone along those lines. There's, there's just something special about when they would just sit next to you and say, man, you can do this. Or, hey, man, I'm, I'm so proud of you. Or, man, you just, you just did a great job. There's, there's just something about when a man does that for another person. Second Timothy verse, uh, one, chapter 1, starting in verse 1, Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he says this. He says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through the faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son, may God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace and mercy and peace. So right there in verse two, what does he do? He immediately, he calls him, listen, Timothy, you're my son. He's taking ownership of Timothy. Verse three, says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. He says, night and day, I continually remember you in my prayers. And so what is he, what is Timothy telling, what is Paul telling Timothy here? He's saying, Timothy, I'm always thinking about you, man. You're always on my mind. I'm praying for you night and day. Verse four, I long to see you again, for I remember your For I remember your tears as we parted and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Timothy, I can't wait to see you again. Verse five, I remember your genuine faith for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that the same faith continues strong in you. So he's telling him, Timothy, I see the genuineness of your faith. He's calling out the faith that is in Timothy. Verse six, this is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. So Timothy, there's more inside of you. There's more inside of you and I see it and I'm calling you now to fan into flame that gift that is on the inside of you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline or a sound mind. And so Timothy, I know that things are hard there in Ephesus. 
I know that things, there's people coming against you. I know that there's false prophets. I know that you're young. We find out later, it, it says, he's, he's encouraging Timothy. He says, I know that you're young, but he says, be an example to the believers in your conduct, in your study of the word, in your character. And so, Timothy, I know you're young, but you have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. So look at, look at this letter here with Paul. Paul is writing to his son, Timothy, and is just encouraging him over and over again. And what I also I love that adds some impact to this letter is that this is more than likely the last letter that Paul sends Timothy. And so right now in this moment, as Paul is writing this letter, he's actually writing this letter from a deep, dark jail cell waiting for his execution. And I love that Paul doesn't write Timothy complaining about his situation he doesn't write Timothy telling him, listen, Timothy, I'm about, I'm about to die, you know, and he's complaining. No, instead he chooses the last words he's going to speak to his spiritual son. The thing he chooses to do is instead to come along and encourage his heart, to strengthen his heart and say, son, I believe in you. I'm proud of you. You can do this. You have more in you than you could ever imagine. I am constantly thinking about you and praying for you. And Timothy comes along or Paul comes along and encourages Timothy with his last words to Timothy. With his last words to Timothy, he brings encouragement. And I don't, I don't know if this happened, but I can just see Timothy taking this letter and folding it up and placing it in his back pocket, or I guess they're wearing robes, so maybe his, his satchel. They probably had satchels. He, he placed it somewhere where he could keep it with him at all times. And I could just see where Timothy, when he was going through a hard time or going through a difficulty, and maybe by this point in time, Paul had already been executed and he's gone. I could just see Timothy every now and then just pulling out this letter and opening up and reading these encouraging words from his spiritual father that gave him strength and gave him, gave him the ability and the endurance to be able to push forward in difficult times. That Paul ran his race and Paul pushed through his trials. And now he's given Timothy this letter to encourage him to be able to do the same. That men are natural encouragers. Amen? Men are encouragers. But here's, here's another thing. And this is a little bit of a left turn. Not only are men encouragers, but men need encouragement. Men need encouragement. And here's the deal. They won't tell you that. Right? Right? Men more than likely are going to come along and say, hey, uh, how'd you think I did there? You know, like they're not going to fish for those compliments. They're not going to fish for that encouragement. But, um, but I want to tell you that men absolutely need encouragement. We like to pretend as men that the only approval that we need is our own. But in reality, we are secretly dying to hear someone say that we're doing a good job. That we need that encouragement. And listen, it's not weakness to need encouragement. If you look in scripture, Timothy had Paul. Paul had Barnabas. David had Jonathan. There's many times in scripture where they had the encouragement of somebody else that, um, that they had the encouragement from, from, from somebody else encouraging them to be able to press on. And men absolutely need that encouragement. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens when you come along and you encourage a man, right? Right. Like, like, say I, I, I preached on a Sunday and afterwards my wife says, says, honey, that was awesome. You were on fire today. And I, I don't know about you, but something rises up with me. I'm just like, yeah, babe, you know, I'm, 
I think I'm a prophet, you know, like. <laughs> I, I'm thinking maybe I'm an apostle to the nations, you know what I mean? Like, there's just something that rises up that calls you to be better when you're encouraged. You know, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, baseball pictures for, uh, for the kids' teams, and I was one of the coaches, so I, I was there, and we have these... My, our team was this bright pumpkin orange color. So, you know, it's, I don't look good in orange, I don't think, you know, it's not my color, but I'm wearing this bright orange shirt and we're waiting in line and, and Brock is there, Brock Meyer, Pastor Ron's son, if you don't know, he's there and he comes up and we're talking and uh, about random things. And, and right before Brock leaves, he looks at me and he, he kind of just looks at me like this and he pauses and he goes, man, you're looking really fit. And then he just walks away. I want to tell you that one compliment had me going for an entire week, right? Like the rest of the week, I'm just walking with my chest pumped out, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lifting weights. And I'm like, man, I think I need to buy some more weights. This just isn't enough, you know, like, like, and, and you know, I, I'm looking at my, hey, babe, my arms look good in this shirt, you know, like, like just that little bit of encouragement. And it's just like, it just goes so far, you know, it's, it's just, it's amazing what happens when you encourage a man and men need that encouragement. Ladies, if you want a man to do something around the house, let me tell you what doesn't work. What doesn't work is saying, hey, honey, I, I need you to spread mulch in the garden. And then a few minutes later, babe, I, I really need you to go spread mulch in the garden. Listen, men are natural encouragers, but we also kind of have this natural rebellious streak right? On the inside of us. And it's like, nah, I, I don't really want to be told to go do something, right? Like, like there's just that. If you want a man to do something, here's how you phrase that. You say, hey, honey, I, I really need that mulch spread in the garden. I, I would do it, but I just can't lift the bags, right? I need somebody. And you'll watch your, your husband say, come alive and go, oh, you, you can't lift the bags, honey? You know, like, I think I could probably lift like 10 of them at once. You, you know, I'll be right back. I'm going to go and put the mulch in the garden. <laughs> you know, if you want your man to do something, encourage them. Tell them how needed that they are, right? Men need to be encouraged. We, we need to be encouraged. We don't always act like it, but we need to be encouraged. To have courage means to have heart, right? To encourage means to give heart. That sometimes men need to be encouraged. Another thing men are, this is something men are. Men call out identity in others. Men call out identity in others. This is especially true of fathers and their kids. When you look at Luke chapter 1, when you look at the story in Luke chapter 1, Zach, there's this man named Zach, or Zachariah. There's this man named Zachariah who's a priest. And Zachariah is married to this woman named Elizabeth. And uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah are older in age. And Elizabeth is barren. So they have no kids. And they're well past the age of bearing kids. And Zechariah is a priest. And at this point in time, there's about 20,000 priests in, uh, in Israel. And 20,000 priests serving. And, and there's this task that is given to people to go inside the temple and to burn incense. And what they would do is the priest would go into the temple all by himself. And he would burn incense as an offering to the Lord. And what they would do is they would cast lots to be able to pick from the 20,000 priests 
of who was going to have the privilege of going into the sanctuary, into the temple, and burning incense. So it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And it just so happened that Zechariah was chosen to be the priest to go into the temple that day. So Zechariah goes into the temple, and he's in there, and he's offering the incense up to the Lord. And out of nowhere, there's this angel. In fact, it was Gabriel that appeared to Zechariah. And Zechariah begins to speak to, to, or Gabriel begins to speak to Zechariah and tell him that you are going to be given a son and he is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. His name will be John, right? And so Zechariah looks at Gabriel and he begins questioning this and he, he asks Gabriel to give him a sign. And one thing you learn from this Bible verse is that if you are ever visited by Gabriel, the angel, you don't question him, Right? Because Gabriel looks at me and goes, oh, you're questioning my authority. He says, listen, I stand in the very presence of God himself, right? And you question my authority. So now you don't get to talk until your son is born. So let me tell you, if you ever are visited by Gabriel, don't tick him off, okay? Just a word of warning. Don't make him mad or else who knows what will happen. You may not be able to talk for a few months. So Zechariah comes out of the temple Lo and behold, Elizabeth gets pregnant. And several months later, they have this baby, John. And, and all of the resident, all relatives and the family members, they are uh, there with Elizabeth and this new baby. And, uh, and it says that all of the relatives just assumed that his name would be Zechariah, that he'd be named after his father, which was a pretty common custom in those days. So they all assumed that he would be named Zechariah. All of a sudden, John gets his, or Zechariah gets his voice back and he says, no, 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 his name will be John. And in that moment, Zechariah identifies his son. He says, his name's not going to be Zechariah. His name will be John. And then I love what happens next. After he tells the family what his name will be, he begins prophesying over his son. And he says this in Luke chapter one, starting in verse 76, he says, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the most high because you will prepare the way for the Lord. Listen, listen to that verbiage. You'll be called a prophet of the most high because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us and to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. And so in this moment, he names him John and then begins prophesying and begin calling out and identifying who his son will be. Later on, John grows up and becomes a man and people and he's speaking as a prophet to the people and people begin asking, are you the Messiah? And what does he say? He says, no, 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 I'm not the Messiah. But he does say, but I am the one Isaiah prophesied about. That says that I'm going to prepare the way of the Lord to come. That I am not the Messiah, but I am here to prepare the way for the Messiah. How did John already know who he was? How did, was John so confident that he was not the Messiah, but that he was the one to prepare the way for the Messiah? Look all the way back to where John or where Zechariah 
named John. And then what's the thing that Zechariah prophesied over his little baby son? He says, you'll be the one to prepare the way for the Messiah. So John knew who he was because clear back all the way at his birth, his dad looked at him and said, this is who you are. That men are given the special, special privilege and authority to be able to call out their sons and their daughters. Not just their sons and their daughters. You're, you've been given the ability to call out and to identify the people around you. He knew who he was because his dad told him clear back on the day, on day one, who he was. You know, we live in a generation of a lot of lost people. Just a few weeks ago, we witnessed what happens when people are lost and confused, didn't we? In the school shooting there in Texas. A young man, what would possess somebody to do that? Or we wonder why all of a sudden there's this trend rising up. And all of a sudden it's, it's, it's popular to be homosexual or to be in the LGBTQ community. And we wonder where all of this came from. Do you realize that we live in the most fatherless generation to date of men that are not in the homes, but also not at war? The only other time in history that there was not fathers in the home was when during World War I and World War II, where men were off fighting wars, that now we are seeing that same level of fathers out of the household, but the fathers aren't off fighting wars. They're just off doing their own thing. And there's nobody in the home. And it's not that, listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that women don't have the ability to step up and to be able to identify and to be able to speak into their kids. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying there's just something about when a father calls out the identity in their son. And so we have a group of people, a generation of people who have no father figure in their home, who are trying to figure out who they are, and they're going and they're, they're walking around confused and lost. And the product then is chaos. The product then is chaos. Let me, let me tell you some of these statistics. This is from the Census Bureau. 19.5 million kids live without a father figure in the home. That's one in four kids. One in four homes. That's enough to fill the city of New York, not once, but twice. And it's enough to fill the city of Los Angeles, not twice, but four times over. Four times over. And I think a lot of our problem in our generation that we're seeing today is that there's no fathers in the home to identify who these kids are, to show them that they are loved, to show them that they are cared for, to show them that they're worthy and worth something. But you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that as I look around this room, that the men in this room beat those odds. That we have a community of men in this room who have stepped up and who have stayed in their homes and who have led their families courageously. 
And I'm thankful that we have a group of men in this room that don't follow the statistics, but that break the statistics, that break the odds, and have stepped up and have identified their kids and their families around them. Amen? And listen, you may not be like Zechariah. I don't, I don't know. You may not be like Zechariah and you prophesied to your kids, like, this is what you're going to do. Like, like, I'm not sure. I, wa- I mean, I was there, but I don't remember. But I'm pretty sure when I was born that my dad didn't go, you are Joshua. And you will be a pastor at Harmony Christian Church. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that probably didn't happen. But you know what? My mom and dad were at every ball game. My mom and dad were at every school play, no matter how painful they were, they were at every school play. They show up randomly on a Sunday morning to hear me preach. Every week when we don't get the podcast up earlier in the week, I get a text message saying, hey, when are you getting the podcast up? I want to listen to it. And you know, they may have never said that you are Joshua, you're going to prophesy to the nation. They never did any of that. But you know what? Them being there told me who I was. Them being there told me that I am loved and that I am chosen and that I am worthy. And just by being present, you fathers are identifying your kids and telling them, listen, you're loved, you're worthy, you're worth something, and I am here for you. And it's awesome to see what happens when men are in their homes and men call out their sons and their daughters. Amen. I'm going to end with this thought here, that men are great at calling people out. But here's the deal. Men also need to be called out. And I don't mean called out in a bad way. We get plenty of that, don't we? I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, men need to be called out. The, the identity, the gold inside of them needs to be called out. When God told Samuel to go find and anoint a king from the house of Jesse. He he called up Jesse and said, gather your kids together, right? And Jesse gathered all of his kids together except for one. There was one there that had been overlooked and it was David. So Jesse called all of his kids together, but David was overlooked. Jesse didn't even invite him to the party. But God saw the king inside of David And gave Samuel the eyes to see the king inside of this little shepherd boy. So God called the king out of him. He said, go anoint David to be king over all of Israel. So Samuel goes and he he takes the horn of oil and he anoints David to be king over all of Israel. And guess what happens? This little shepherd boy begins immediately acting like a king. And the very next chapter, David is going out to the front lines to give his, his brothers some food who are out on the front lines fighting. Well, I shouldn't say fighting because they weren't fighting. They were standing there shaking in their armor because this giant named Goliath was calling them all out and everyone was afraid to face him, including Saul, the king. So David comes out on the line of battle to hand out food. He hears Goliath come out and and challenge the Israelites. He looks around and sees that nobody is stepping up. And he goes, listen, I'll step up. 
He says, listen, I'll step up. And Saul says, well, okay, you can have my armor. That's, that's one heck of a king, right? Like, oh, okay, you can take my armor. <laughs> like, I ain't going to do it, but you can do it. You know, you're a little shepherd boy, but I'm going to send you to fight my battles. But David says, no, I don't even need the armor. Just give me a sling and a stone. And he says, I'm going to go out there and I will shut up this Philistine who mocks our God. And so what does he do? He immediately goes out to the battlefield. He takes that sling. We know the story. It's one of the best stories in the Bible. One of the most manly stories in the Bible, too, if I, if I were to say so. But uh, he takes the sling and the stone. He knocks Goliath out, puts the stone right in between his eyes. He takes Goliath's sword. Is there kids in the room? All right. He takes Goliath's sword. And you know what happens next? Goliath doesn't have a head anymore. And immediately, the very next chapter, right after David is called out as king, he begins acting like a king. He begins acting like a king. That what his father looked at him and saw a child, God looked at him and saw a king. And when that king was called out of the child, he put away the childish things. And he began acting like the king that was on the inside of him immediately. And men need the same thing. They need to be called out. The king inside of them needs to be called out. And I don't know about you, but as I look around our world and we look at the media that is being given to us, most of the time men are presented as less than. Men are presented as children running around the home. That is just another kid that the mom has to take care of right? The, the man in the home, all the men on television are Homer Simpson, right? You know, like all they, all they're good for is making money and making kids. And that's about it, right? And that is what the standard that has been set. That is the standard that has been set in our culture for men. And guess what? Men are living up to that standard. Men are living up to the standard that the culture is giving them. If you treat and if you call out the kid in a man, then he's going to act like a kid. But if you call out the king, if you call out the king inside of him, then he'll begin acting and step up to that role as king. If you call out the king inside of him, I guarantee the man will stand before the giants. That the man will stand before the giants and we'll see the giants in our, in our world taken out because the king has been called out on the inside of them. Amen. Men need to be called out. Men need to be called out. Men are being treated as kids. So we have a culture of men who are acting like kids. But if we would just call out the king inside of him, he would stand before giants and cut off their heads. Amen. We see this also in Gideon. Gideon and his tribe have been living in hiding because the Midianites keep coming over and stealing their food and stealing their resources. And they, they have been unable to fight the Midianites. And so they're just living in bondage and living in slavery. And it says that Gideon was hiding in the wine press, milling out the grain. And all of a sudden he gets visited by this angel who says, oh, mighty man of valor, God has called on you to lead your people. And Gideon's like, 
mighty man of valor. I don't know who you're talking to, but I'm hiding in a wine, wine press, grinding out my, my, my grain. I'm hiding like everybody else. I'm not a mighty man of valor. And he just, the angel keeps going, no, no, no. You're a mighty man of valor. He keeps calling out the man of valor inside of him. And so what happens? Gideon steps up. He begins gathering an army. And this man who is now a mighty man of valor begins encouraging his people that were once afraid to now gather as an army. And you know the story that first there's too many, and which is funny because there's lots of Midianites, but God says, no, 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 there's too many. And you know, normally the strategy is to have more men than the, than the enemy, but God keeps weeding them out. So they get down to 300 men that Gideon leads into battle and they overcome the Midianites by the power of the Lord because an angel came and called out the man of valor on the inside of them. We got to call out the king and the men in our culture. Amen. Amen. All right. Men, let's just recap one time. Men know how to bring the fun. Amen. Men are protectors. Men are encouragers. Men call out identity in others. And then men also need encouragement and they need to be called out. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together.